You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Welcome to episode 132 of Flipping Tables. I'm one of your hosts, Michael Edwards. And I am David Lyons. And we're in the same space again. Most Yay. of this month is going to be that way. Hopefully that doesn't sound any different to the listener. <laughs> like, it's just always polished. It's just less work for us. Right. Yeah, because basically, yeah, we slap on the beginning and end and we're done. Uh, we got some follow-up before we get in this week's show. In our Reddit community, which you can find at reddit.com slash r slash flipping tables. So every episode we have a post uh, so people can discuss and disagree and agree vehemently with us about everything. And uh, user what you know Joe says uh, about the topic of those led displays on like the e-machines that were like you have a hundred megahertz remaining um he was uh, laying down some knowledge for us about how those worked and he said uh, concerning those old digital clock file displays on computers they were often affected by the turbo button when you turned off turbo they'd usually show something like low to make it more obvious that you're running in slow mode leds in those days were not super bright especially yellow amber ones they usually use for turbo indicators and unless they were really fancy, you had to physically change a bunch of jumpers on the back, light bright style, to change what it would display in turbo and slow modes. <laughs> so this is making me uh, think about two things. One, what what kind of crazy era of computers did we grow up in where if you wanted to change something on your computer display, you would have to physically alter the jumpers? <laughs> like that feels like a million years ago, but that was computers like in our childhood. Like those uh, old 201 science kits you'd get at Radio Shack <laughs> that would let you like connect circuits and things would light up. <laughs> yeah, which, I mean, that stuff's cool. Like I'm all about knowing electronics, but modern computers in the year 2016 are basically... <laughs> totally solid state magical glass and aluminum boxes (laughs) totally black boxes of magic um the other thing is i'm trying to think back to a couple of friends who had e-machines and were fairly like big you know big i guess into pc gaming like way more than i was and I don't remember ever being at their houses to hang out and ever not seeing the the number displayed on the LEDs, which means did they just never ever turn the turbo off based on the, like assuming this is accurate, like they just left that on all the time? I mean, why wouldn't you? I don't I don't know. It's but, not like a laptop where you're like, <laughs> well, maybe I'll get an extra half hour of battery out of this. I mean, I presume anything that makes the CPU run hotter is doing damage to it for its longevity. But unless that's communicated to you in a way you understand, you're just going to be like, I want fast computer. (laughs) (laughs) Do I want turbo or not turbo? Turbo. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. And I mean, we were like 10, so (laughs) what are you going to do? Not have it in turbo mode? (laughs) Nitro boost. Yeah, but that's kind of... I mean, it's cool that like that was even an option, although it's staggering. The jumpers thing is just like blowing my mind. <laughs> like, who would actually go in the back and be like, I want it to display the accurate thing, so I'm going to change the jumpers around. <laughs> I don't know. Yikes. Uh, so that's all our follow-up, uh, but definitely keep pouring in the comments into our Reddit community. Uh, we'll be there every week uh, replying. So into the show. This, this Microsoft thing is... Uh, 
terrifying is terrifying a good word terrifying feels pretty good yeah i think so so they have a golden secret key that allows the developers at microsoft to bypass uh, the secure boot process so that when they're they're changing something they can then quickly load that on and not have to worry about it checking for signatures well, I mean, it does check, and yeah. this magic golden key is like, everything's fine. <laughs> so the, there's an obvious use case for this, and also it would be really bad if this got out, and of course it got out. Yeah. And I guess Microsoft, according to this article, is claiming that it was leaked by accident. This was never supposed to get out into the public. This it was a- shipped on devices, right? Like- yes. Yeah, it, it went out as a boot key on certain devices and the thing that's upsetting about this is there's bleed over so this key was designed to be used with secure boot devices like windows rt tablets and windows phone but it works with anything that's signed yeah, by it's hardware independent <laughs> yeah so you could just use it on like regular windows installations from the sound of it like any normal pc this would be a way to just completely bypass all the security features yeah so the title of this article is basically what we're all thinking right now is that they single-handedly prove that these backdoors are a bad idea. Yeah, because now any any Windows can c- computer or device you could get access to, you could then load this key into the. I, they don't really call it BIOS anymore. It's like the EFI, boot yeah. lo- the bootloader, and now you can just do anything. You could install any software that is not signed and the computer will be like, nah, this is legit. This yeah. is totally fine. Which, I mean, if you just want to put Linux, God forbid, on your Surface tablet, um, you can with this, but the cons- the other consequences are what really matter. It's not the, oh, Linux can now boot. <laughs> yeah, it's more like, oh, now I can go to this hospital and put an unsecured version of Windows onto all these machines. Yeah. Well, not a hospital. There's no way they're running Windows 10, but you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and this is probably just another reason why we need encryption at rest for your stuff and not just like some kind of gatekeeper that you trust. Yeah, but I mean, this goes even deeper than that because you could install all kinds of key loggers and all sorts right. of other malicious stuff at the OS yeah. level. You slip the roofie into the computer that yeah. gives you what you want later. Yeah, yeah th- this is a deep, deep running problem. And the thing that's terrifying about this is if you read through this article, it's like, in July, Microsoft pushed out a patch. It didn't do anything. Then later, <laughs> in the beginning of August, they pushed out another patch. It also didn't do anything. They're like trying it, to bucket water out of their ship. Yeah, out of the Titanic after it broke in half and the guy hit the propeller on the way down. Like it's this is, nice Cameron reference. This is, uh, I mean, that's the thing about a magic golden key is you have no way to communicate to the computer. Hey, remember that thing we said was always acceptable? We were kidding, right? Because <laughs> then it wouldn't be a magic golden key. Right. So I don't honestly know enough about the EFI in particular and secure boot in general to say, like, is this just broken forever now? Like, is this something where they could, like, hey, bring your device into a Microsoft store and we can flash different low-level stuff that doesn't reference this? I, I don't, mean, they, I don't understand enough about it to I, know. But. I would assume they could do that on like a per device basis, but presumably, if if the golden key is baked into 
the BIOS or the bootloader or whatever on the firmware, yeah. you you can't push this out because the golden key is going to be like, yeah, but I'm still valid. Like, yeah. You can't revoke me. That's true. I'm, I'm magic. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that seems like that's exactly what the problem is, is when you hard code, always, always, always let this key unlock the door. Yeah. There's yeah, no way to, to say, like, like, oh, but not anymore. It's Just literally kidding. new hardware. You need to replace the firmware. Yeah. So I, I, and the, I mean, this article is, is very level headed and reasonable. And they're like, yeah, this is a serious problem. And they basically proved why the FBI should not have this kind of access because eventually it's going to leak out based on the name of this golden key because it has like some really Microsofty name. It's like, golden key 2011 (laughs) i mean literally the year is in the name but it's i guess they've been doing this for like five years now and hey they had a good run and now (laughs) now it's been leaked out so yeah we can already say five years is a ballpark of how long you'll keep your secret a secret (laughs) (laughs) and this this isn't like oh hackers broke into redmond and no knew about the golden key like microsoft just left their keys in a taxi (laughs) (laughs) now it's ruined for everyone so i don't i mean i really don't i I don't want to just bash on microsoft about this although like well yeah a little a little because i mean it's like holy crap you guys like you can't leave if you're the president you have the briefcase with the the nuclear launch codes you can't just leave that in a bar like you gotta be just carries it around casually i mean this there's no way to have a perfect key that's also perfectly secure because that just isn't how the universe functions but there's if you are an engineering manager and your developers come to you and they're like, Hey, can we just have a way to skip like all the security processes? Cause it really slows us down. You, the answer always needs to be no. Yeah. If anyone ever says, can we bypass security that if anyone else was ever able to bypass, it would ruin the entire product. The answer has to be no, <laughs> because then this will eventually happen. Someone accidentally committed this to like the normal firmware that gets yeah. shipped out, and now the universe is broken. Well, and I guess the alternative is if you have a development process that divorces your development from the consumer products it's intended for enough that you could protect against this kind of leak, well, then your development's going to suffer because you're not testing on the right stuff. Right. And so, yeah, you don't want to say, like, oh, well, the development environment is in no way like the production <laughs> yeah. environment. But so, this key will only unlock the developer environment. Yeah. They, they don't, unless I missed it in here, they didn't make it clear if you need physical access to a device to exploit this. But even. Even if let's let's finger cross you can only do it if you have physical access to the device, that still means like a disgruntled employee at a bank or at a hospital or school or at like a fortune five hundred company could get very yeah. dangerous access to systems they should not have access to well, and that's the thing is like okay, Microsoft screwed up. Um, but that's like, that was just an internal company failure. But what the FBI was asking for was like, Hey, spread this key around a bit. Right. And so let's just increase the vectors for someone to non maliciously make a mistake, let alone a malicious actor deciding to do something. Yeah. And it is like the point of no return kind of like once it's out, it's out. You can't, it's like entropy to this, like, well, keys out. (laughs) Yeah, the, I mean, this is 
the most fantastic real world example we could have ever hoped for to cement that this doesn't work. <laughs> you cannot have a secret backdoor that only good guys know about and only good guys can get access to <laughs> because that's just not how math works. Like if, if it was a literal door that had armed guards in front of it and a bunch of physical locks, then like, yeah, maybe you could keep bad people from getting in there. But even that's not definite. Yeah. This is nothing like that. This is where anyone can get to it from anywhere in the world. Like, ugh. yep. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, let me see. I'm, yeah, so it, they're saying for Windows RT tablets, I mean, <laughs> who uses a Windows RT tablet? But <laughs> the, so even the, the updates that they've pushed recently, like literally do nothing to stop this. They maybe create additional minor inconveniences. And the researchers that discovered it are skeptical that it will be impo- impossible. Yeah. Or they believe it'll be impossible to undo this. Yeah. So, uh, don't, do this. I'm sure that within the company, it's a, had, my one, two, three, and Slipstream are the researchers. <laughs> just so you know, the article keeps referencing like Slipstream said this. Well, those are their elite hacksaw names. They can't let their real names out because it's probably like you know John Douglas. That's, that's not interesting. Slipstream. Is it Slipstream with a bunch of vowels? No, it's actually with just Slipstream. Oh, the okay. words. But yeah, I mean, th- this is. I'm very sorry that Microsoft had to bear this cross, just like I would be very sorry for whoever got bit by this. But please, other companies, Google, Facebook, Apple, uh, you know, the Linux kernel folks, like, look to this example and, you know, duct tape this article over your your computer so that the next time the FBI or the CIA or whoever comes knocking, they're like, nah, baby, it'll be secure this time. We won't let that key leak out. Like, just remember... Yes, someone <laughs> will, and it will be an accident. Th- this doesn't appear to have been malicious. This wasn't. Yeah. I don't. I don't think that we're going to find out that this person was paid blood money from the Russian mafia to put this into the Windows bootloader. This was probably a genuine mistake. And I and I I don't know that anyone listening trusts the government not to make mistakes <laughs> like that. <laughs> but just go Google how many times data has been leaked by government employees accidentally. It's just, it's like every other year, there's some massive, everyone's health data. Sorry, we were carrying it on a laptop, left it unencrypted on a bus. Every single time I've heard about a major leak, it's always, literally 100% of the time, been human error. Because math tends to not suddenly forget to be math. (laughs) So if you encrypt something, it stays encrypted. And it's not that software can't have bugs, but... If you are fairly confident in the number of bugs, there won't just suddenly be new bugs tomorrow. Whereas with human beings, they can be hungover, they can be tired, they can be disgruntled, they can just be in a crappy mood and then do something they can never take back. And that's that's implying like some level of maliciousness or neglect that doesn't even count just like oops i I committed that to master when i was supposed (laughs) to do it to like our local dev branch now it's out there forever yeah this kind of stuff does a little bit make me want to say like well i'm just gonna print everything on paper i'm never gonna store anything in the cloud i'm not gonna ever trust it but i think particularly for Americans and probably most of like Western Europe, maybe Asia. I don't know. I don't follow like Asian tech news as much, but 
I kind of feel like there are now so many copies of my address and social security number and where I went to high school and my first pet's name. Yeah. Like, that data is now out there so much. Like we can never go back. Yeah. We just need good, good, nice liability policies for fraud where it's like, yeah. Hey, they stole my identity. Please give me my shit back. Yeah, we, we pretty much need to blaze forward because we're never, uh, it's, it's Pandora's box. Like we're never going to put all the secrets back and relock it up and yeah like we're we're done it's over so we, all we can do now is stem the bleeding <laughs> uh so are you are you gonna keep using your windows rt tablet now that you know that? <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh man my windows 8 rt tablet that oh, i don't even want to i don't want to make fun of them <laughs> you want to just let it go that's so like 2010 <laughs> we're not, we're not going to kick them while they're down <laughs> Uh, we do have some game topics this week, uh, game music topics. So first off, uh, uh, network fellow Matt Duncan shared us a, a video of a 3DS game called Legend of Kusakari. And, uh, you know, it, it looks a lot like Zelda, um, but it's actually got a twist on it because you're just a kid that likes chopping the, the shrubberies down, just like Link does to find rupees. Um, and you're surrounded by heroes fighting monsters and you're just like hey get out of my way but that's not why this video i mean that's an interesting premise it's like a got me interested in the game but um this trailer um and you seem to have like a, a reason to believe this is on purpose <laughs> uh, i, I want to believe it is. the the music like starts off all like jrpg zelda like like totally totally in that genre and then suddenly this extra trumpet sound comes in that is just off pitch it's just discordant and it's just kind of like wandering around making noise however it wants well it's kind of like midi trumpet i mean it's not but it has that sort of like well this is the best we could do (laughs) we only have you know eight bits of sound to play with but it's like (laughs) (laughs) it's just drifting from pitch to pitch like with its own little internal story to tell and it's just like it surprises you because it's not till 20 seconds into this video that it happens (laughs) and so you're just like looking at a game and then out of nowhere you're like what (laughs) when it i mean i i was fascinated by this at first based on the premise and because i kind of understood where the premise was going by the time it gets to that music i was like oh it's because like randos don't get cool theme music. Like <laughs> no, they're not going to send the, you know, the London Philharmonic to play random grass cutting guys <laughs> theme music. They're going to send like the middle school orchestra. <laughs> and that's kind of what it sounds like. Not even if you're bug catching that sick kid in link to the past, you don't get Philharmonic. Well, he might, <laughs> but it, 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 I mean, but you... like red hat guy that chases you and calls the guards. <laughs> Not so oh, much. Oh, is it with the patch that you got to like get the speed boots to get him? Yeah. 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 Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I mean, he's Link adjacent. <laughs> this is the whole premise of this game is that there's like monsters fighting heroes everywhere and like you want nothing to do with what they're doing. So I don't know if I could put up with 20 hours of awkward trumpet music, but if that <laughs> if that's just like the overture you know, and then the rest is like a little more normal. Oh, yeah. It's an interesting <laughs> premise. Like I'd, I'd try this game. Well, you just, it's one of those things where like, it's gotta be on purpose, right? Because what composer would do that <laughs> accidentally that would be hired to make a professional game? 
Well, all right. So you're you're a professional musician. <laughs> <laughs> you are. You've, you've gotten paid money. Yeah, yeah. I've got yeah. a movie soundtrack. Yeah, you're legit. Um, if if someone you didn't know, right? So you're you're just like a contract musician. Says like, hey, we want you to play this guitar part, and you look at the sheet music, and you're like. This is awful. Like, <laughs> not like I don't like this song. Like this has musically like this flawed things in it. Would you say anything or would you just be like, okay. Like you're reading an M. Night Shyamalan script <laughs> post Unbreakable <laughs> and you're just like, this is kind of bad. <laughs> I mean, like if you were given this trumpet part where it's like, okay, then go flat and hold the flat note. <laughs> it depends on my investment. If it's just like, hey, my day rate is solid and I'm just going to go record it and be done. And this is work for hire. It's not my name slapped on this. Like, yeah, let's do it. Let's just get that paycheck. But <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> So I'm I'm gonna assume that's not what happened here, and that this was all planned. I'm not sure it's as clearly communicated as maybe they think it is. <laughs> well, it's I mean the the whole trailer and everything about it is very targeted at like a Japanese audience. Yeah, and I mean everything's captioned, so I'm I'm confident that I understand what they're trying to get across. I'm not confident that everyone would. <laughs> be comfortable with well, it like is it some clever use of like japanese quarter tones we in western music we only have half steps and whole steps traditionally i don't know i'm just reaching yeah no, <laughs> you're, i i think they want it to sound like you're not the hero music <laughs> and it like i said in the if it's the overture like when i start the game fine if it's 20 hours of flat trumpet no yeah. it's not that funny well is it and just hearing it reminded me immediately of the internet classic of Stacy Hedger doing Star Wars music with the trumpet solo. And, uh, this is just, you know, this has been on the internet for over a decade. It reminds me of like E-Bombs World, like G.I. Joe PSA times. Ah, uh, the good old days. <laughs> but, uh, I, I'll throw that link also in the show notes, which we haven't mentioned yet, but which you can find at sunriserobot.net slash flipping table slash 132. And if you decide to watch the Stacey Hedger video, a couple things to look for. Well, number one, the trumpet is just off key. And it's not clear if it's her fault or if they played like a different key version of the Star Wars karaoke music, uh, trumpet karaoke, um, or, uh, or what. But, that's like maybe that's not her fault but everything else has to be her fault right um she does this like i mean in a certain sense kind of adorable sneaky dance steps during like the the interludes where she's not playing the main theme um but then it like goes into this it's like kind of a medley style star wars theme and so they go into cantina music and she starts like waddling with her trumpet (laughs) forward and backwards and i don't know it's just it's cringy i mean it (laughs) <laughs> and we pulled it out of the archive of the internet to, is it, to mock. Is it um is it the lens of of the seventies? Like <laughs> I mean you and I weren't even born in the seventies. Like if we were It looks like a star search kind of show. Yeah. But I mean like would this have been as ridiculous then as it seems to <laughs> us now? 
or are we just being like, ha ha, everything before our time was ridiculous? Yeah. Because I mean, this seems pretty ridiculous. Yeah, but the crowd just applauds and like there's not it's not like American Idol where they intentionally show you the awful people and then it's just like, Oh my god, get off the stage. Oh no, everything about this is it's like taken sincere. seriously. Yeah. yeah. Sincere and serious and, and there's no irony. It wasn't the eighties yet. And she has Pomo. Cr- crazy like streamers on her elbow, like almost like little kid bike streamers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it does look like if it got a lot weirder, it would be an Adult Swim like kind of thing. <laughs> this is just the precursor to Too Many Cooks. This, so I, I have to admit, I'm watching this; it's playing right now. Do Do you think if it was just the silly dancing and the little like shtick that she's doing, but the trumpet part wasn't so screwed up, <laughs> that it would be this ridiculous? Because I feel like. The the silly dancing and stuff is just kind of like oh this it's very seventies yeah. but then then she puts the trumpet to her lips and it's just like <laughs> yeah that's why the video is famous because I mean the dancing almost reinforces how bad the trumpet is because she's so she's doing her part she's fully enthusiastic in the ridiculous steps she's doing and they look very choreographed she's doing exactly oh, yes. what she planned to do for all those steps and then trumpet comes up. <laughs> And <laughs> musical vomit comes out. Oh, <laughs> uh, jeez. This poor woman. Uh, um, so what about not terrible music? Spotify doing anything interesting? Yeah, well, they've. It, is this an official site? It looks like an official site. It has Spotify in the URL, and it's branded exactly like Spotify stuff. So I'm going to call it an official site. Oh, the, it's Spotify dash gaming. Well, the hyphen throws me off yeah. because I'm like, who uses hyphens on purpose? Okay, you explain what this is and okay. I'm, I'm going to do a who is. Okay, so Spotify Gaming, it's the site that lists video game soundtracks and video game playlists that uh, users and, and I think Spotify has officially created their own game soundtrack playlist too. Um, it's just a, a site to browse and look at all the, the game soundtracks they have and they actually have... Uh, a decent number. I mean, there's some very, very notable omissions, which I'm sure you'll mention here in a second. Yep. <laughs> but uh, they, they have a lot of good, especially for newer games, uh, gaming soundtracks. And, you know, I really enjoy listening to a lot of game soundtracks. Uh, some of my favorite ones are on here. Um, but one I'd call out is this is a game where the soundtrack, I think, is actually better than the game itself, even though I think people thought the game was pretty good. And that's Sword and Sorcery. Um, and they spell sorcery with a W, so it's, it's sorcery. Sorcery. Um, but there's this song I'll also throw in the show notes, which you can still find at sunriserobot.net slash flipping table slash 132, um, to this song called Lone Star. Even if you're never going to play this, it's an iPad game, Sword and Sorcery. It's on Android now, too, um, for years now. Um, listen to this song called Lone Star because it's just a really good song, even if you never care about the game. But it kind of got me thinking, like, um, what other gaming soundtracks do you love? And are they on Spotify gaming? Or is this like, hey, nice first step, Spotify, but you kind of <laughs> got to step it up. So I, I don't... When I think of video game music, I very much think of like NES, Super Nintendo, you know, Genesis era music. Uh, and there's a lot of like PlayStation 1 era music and then onward into modern gaming that I think is fantastic. But if someone says like, hey, you ever listen to like a video game soundtrack? I'm thinking like, yeah, sometimes I'll sit around and listen to like the Mega Man, you know, level music or like Super Mario themes. But that's not what they mean. Yeah. They mean like, do you have the CD of the Halo soundtrack or yeah. do you have, you know, like the 
the music from the Fallout games, which is really has nothing to do with Fallout and is all like <laughs> old timey, like 40s and 50s music. Um, so I looked up uh, these these different franchises to see if they had it. Uh, Final Fantasy, Earthbound, the Sonic games, and any Mario games. And no, 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 no. <laughs> Nintendo doesn't really play ball with anyone else ever for any reason, though. So well, you got to immediately eliminate their stuff. I mean, yeah. I, w- I would have said like, oh, well, they don't have any of the chiptune stuff. But look, here's all like Final Fantasy 7, 8, 9. Nope. No 10. Nothing. I mean, nothing. Yeah, Just, not orchestral or yeah. not original PS1 MIDI. Yeah, nothing. Um, and then you and they made CDs of that stuff. Like I have the oh, Final yes. Fantasy VIII soundtrack, and there's tons of popular covers. So you pointed out that the Chrono Trigger music that's in there, because Chrono Trigger is a fantastic soundtrack, all covers. Yeah, or the only album is covers. Yeah, and I thought like, oh well, for sure there'll be some like Mario covers or some Final Fantasy covers. I didn't see any. Yeah, I mean, and I did independent looking up, and like you can find some orchestras. Um, the London Philharmonic or some of the other ones that have done video game concerts and some of those albums are on Spotify, not listed on this site though. Um, so I was able to track down like some Mario music that was fantastic, but it it's not on the site. So if you're using this for discovery, they need to really get on their game listing it. So in Spotify's defense of how curated this collection is, uh, from what I can tell in my, you know, sleuthing, uh, this Spotify-gaming.com, not registered by, okay. by Spotify. It's actually registered by Lairframe Studios, LLC. Yeah, and I mean, I wondered because when you click on an album, it takes you to a preview page, and then it has a play on Spotify link. And I don't think an official Spotify page would bother with this middle page with previews of the songs. It would just, they wouldn't even do a website. They would just have playlists featured in the browse interface. Right. Where they put all their other new features like the release radar, which I'll probably talk about <laughs> on a bits and pieces soon enough. But what you need to know is that Layerframe Studios is an award winning digital agency based out of Brooklyn. They provide strategy creative and development to some of the world's biggest and best known brands. I feel like I've read that only a few thousand times from design agencies. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they don't have some of the, the eight and 16 bit classics that you love and that you count as the only ones that matters. <laughs> um, but they do have, they do have several halo soundtracks. They have the mass effect soundtracks. They have the last of us and oh, uncharted. Wait, uh, late breaking news here. So on Lairframe's site, under clients, Spotify is listed. Oh. So they may have made this page with Spotify, which is why okay. they're shamelessly using their logo and their brand and things. So I don't think Spotify has necessarily any deals with gaming music. No, this is just music that happens to be published right, right, to right. Spotify. Yeah. So I'm sorry, I interrupted you. You were saying no. there is in fact some non-garbage. Yeah, and they have they, uh, there's a Capcom album of official Mega Man chip tunes, um, like the original NES soundtracks, um, Command and Conquer, which uh, if you played that game has some pretty phenomenal music. Um, I already said Mass Effect, Minecraft, um, some really good music there. Does Minecraft have good music? Yeah, 
Well, I mean, I played it five years ago. I don't know what its music is now, <laughs> but I remember really enjoying its music. I, I mean, whenever anybody talks about Minecraft, I don't think I've heard a single person say music. And not because the music's bad, but I mean, that's not that's not what you focus right. on in Minecraft. Well, it, and it's pretty subdued. Like, it, it, at least the last time I played it, which is wildly out of date, <laughs> um, it would just occasionally come in to accent different moments like the sunset or like night falling or, or oh, whatever. So, like, it was very, very... Music. very very peaceful and very pretty um so i mean if you like game music check out what spotify has uh, i imagine these albums are probably just cross uh, published to pretty much every music service but this site uh gives you a nice little view of what's on spotify when the spotify dash gaming.com i just i like that they it's like well here's us surfacing stuff for you so if you search for like The Last of Us, which had pretty good music, yeah. But if you search for The Last of Us, you're not going to get every like punk rock album also called The Last of Us. <laughs> yeah. So you you know, and like, there's a lot, I'm yeah, sure. <laughs> but it, it's it's kind of nice if you're looking for something that's a little bit more obscure in its genre, but still is going to have a lot of naming collisions with less obscure genres. So this. You know, despite my complaints that they don't have enough classic stuff, which this is not Spotify's fault. This is every music provider. None of them have classic yeah. music. Come on, Square. I know you want to sell thirty nine ninety nine <laughs> CDs of your game soundtracks, but please just put it on the streaming services. A lot of this stuff is not even purchasable. Yeah, like, I mean, some Square well, yeah, like stuff, import but, it from Japan and, and then pay a hundred dollars or something. Well, it's just these games are old enough that they're from an era before that was a thing someone would do. Yeah, and then that even what I just described about importing it is code word for oh, I'm just going to torrent it, right? <laughs> I'm going to pirate this, <laughs> or I'm going to copy from my friend who already took the trouble. To <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. This is. I mean, it, it's it's better than nothing. Like I'm not going to begrudge them surfacing some cool stuff because they didn't surface enough cool stuff. But there is that little part of me that's just like, can someone please solve this chiptune music problem? <laughs> All the music's already written. You literally just need to give me a way to pay you for it. Before we started recording tonight, I kept using the phrase, how do businesses create barriers between me and giving them money? Like You should never yeah. put a barrier between a customer and them giving you money. Let me give you money. Yeah, like Nintendo, make a Metroid game. God, just do it. It's <laughs> Let been Mike so give long. You money. So the last thing I kind of wanted to talk to you about, and this is funny because uh, neither of us have played No Man's Sky, and now we're going to talk about it. Yep. <laughs> but, this doesn't stop the entire rest of the internet that leaves reviews on literally everything before it comes out. Well, yeah. And, <laughs> and we're not reviewing the game. And that's the crux of this discussion is I actually have almost nothing to say about the game as like a game. Although I think some of the reviews are very down on its gaminess because it's like a lot of just wandering around in the wilderness, but that's not what I'm It's also in. just a victim of the insane hype machine. Oh yes. Yes. No, but I, so I saw a, a, a did you know gaming video, which you can find in the show notes as always at sunrise robot that is slash flipping table slash one, three, two, but, uh, they you, t- you put butt on the end of the URL. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah. It's right after the number and it's two T's. <laughs> I should make that URL. It's not work a conjunction. Before now, no, no hyphens, <laughs> no confusion about who registered the domain. Uh, they they talk in a lot in this video about the technology and the 
the all the times the game almost didn't get made and like I don't care about that. But the the thing that makes this game interesting technologically is that everything is procedurally generated. So they had to define all of the rules of the universe and that that is not an a ridiculous word to use since they literally built like a whole galaxy. Yeah. And so Minecraft yeah. is true, but that's a very different kind of game of right. simple cube graphics and yeah. And on a considerably smaller scale. Yeah, it's, um, it's not literally an entire galaxy. There are uh, 18 quintillion some odd planets. How many digits are in a quintillion? Uh, it's after a trillion, so 19, Okay, I think. Live Googling. Yeah, Live Googling. Because a billion would be 12, and then a trillion would be 15, right? You just tack on three every time. Oh, it's after quadrillion. Because oh. quintillion's five. So 22, if I'm, if I'm counting right? You wanna, 18. 18? Oh. Yeah, billions, nine digits, trillions, 12. Oh, that, so my, I, was, I was starting from imperfect data because I was <laughs> counting a billion as 12. It, yeah, it's like indexing from zero for <laughs> a podcast number. <laughs> Who would do that? Um, but the, the, the raw number of planets, like, hey, we ran this algorithm enough times to create this many planets, like, that to me is not that interesting. What's interesting from the tech standpoint is all of the weird problems that that created because they generated some planets and then they realized that the sky was kind of boring. And they were like, oh, you know what we should do? We should make it so that the moons can be closer to the planets. So when you're on a planet's surface, the sky is more visually interesting. Well, in a game with a powerful physics engine that created like world ending tidal forces yeah. that were like ripping the planets to shreds. Cause they didn't want to have just a skybox. They wanted like the moon is actually there. Yeah. Like if you get in your ship, you could just literally fly to that planet's moon because that's the whole point of the game. Like if you can see it, you can go there. So they didn't want to break that, that like hard and fast rule, but they had to alter the physics engine to allow such large bodies to be that close to each other. <laughs> And there's in in a, a designed game in a game or any kind of uh, like Mass Effect, <laughs> yeah, in any kind of universe where you sit down and you make set pieces, you can break those rules when it's artistic. Because it's going to be relevant. a loading screen in between yeah. going to that moon. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just painted onto the that part of the screen, and when you look, there it is, and when you look away, it's not there. But they didn't want to do that in No Man's Sky, which I think is admirable. But then they had all these other quirky problems like, oh, on some planets, wouldn't it be cool if the sky was green? And then they checked their algorithm and they were like, that can never happen. (laughs) (laughs) So we have to change the laws of the universe to allow for green skies. But then we also have to figure out what other things did we just change and break now that the universe allows for green skies. Well, that's because when you're working, like you might be like, well, why didn't they just like, you know, have a constant, like a big text file at the root directory that's like, well, the planets have these color skies and these moons. It's because there's eight, you know, 18 quintillion. It's because yeah. it's so far beyond what humans can manually do that you really need the, the algorithm set up to generate it. You, you don't want to have to manually do anything. No. And speaking of them not manually doing anything, <laughs> another interesting problem that this created is they, 
this was not the studio's first game, and the people who founded this studio came from other studios. So these are, are like more or less veteran game developers. And because they take pride in their craft and they have experience, they recognize what is a well-polished product and what isn't. And they said, we want to kind of fact check each planet and make sure like, oh, this planet is really boring or, oh, this planet is like impossibly confusing and nothing makes any sense. So they had to write little helper robots that went out and explored the planets for them and then like checked a list of things like does it meet these minimum criteria which is to a not lot suck? like what google does to index the web yes <laughs> so the the thing that i find just so fascinating about this is uh i don't think that this game is going to be a um like a, a generally well-received phenomenon I think it's a very specific kind of play style that goes after a very specific kind of gamer, and that's totally fine. Not everything has to sell 100 million units. What I am interested in is how this is uh, kind of like with uh, you know the Facebook Messenger Assistant and the Google Assistant and, and Siri and, and all these different like AIs that are surfaced in less of a Rosie the Robot way and more of a I didn't even know that was AI kind of way. Like, where are we going to see procedural generation and AI backported into other games? Like, how smart are the NPCs going to get? And it's like, oh, I figured they were just programmed on a loop. And it's like, no, that NPC, like, lives an entire life. (laughs) And when you turn the game off, the clock's still running and their life still happens. Yeah, is the next Elder Scrolls game going to have that or something? Um, Well, I know there's... So in Fallout, I mean, it's, it's scripted, but in, like, the Fallout games, the newer ones... The you can actually like watch an NPC from a distance and they will like wake up and leave their house and like go to their job and like stand behind a counter yeah. and then like go home when it gets Which dark. Which is a pretty simple version of this, but you yeah. can imagine like how, how advanced it could get. I mean, it seems like a lot of the like, especially for open world games, I mean, they already do a lot of like autogen, like the dungeons tend to be procedurally generated because you can just say what does an entrance look like what do different kinds of corridors look like it's like right. a yeah, don't v- don't place an entrance on the floor a very contained problem to solve yeah. um but you know how would you do that for we're gonna have a forest and we're gonna have some interesting things in the forest but i don't want to have to you know send a designer you know away for a month to create a forest that works right. i want to create a simple algorithm that creates interesting forests and then never think about them again right and this seems like uh just like you could buy the the uh was it like the havoc physics engine and there's the oh god whatever what's like the most famous game engine that like every freaking game is now built on the i mean unreal Unreal, thank you. Yeah. Um, so you could make like a plugin for Unreal or a whole engine that all it does is like, oh, your game has like a forest area. Like, don't ever design another forest. <laughs> Just buy this or you know license this algorithm. Plug a little bit of data into it, and it will generate a forest for you of any size and any complexity. Or like, yeah. oh, your game involves like caves. Like, okay, here's like the cave engine you can license, yeah. and. I mean, I, I see I this mixed in, feelings because it's like, is this going to make everything feel like samey and random instead of like a perfectly crafted, designed experience? It, I mean, it really does depend on what kind of game you're making because 
I mean, I often bring up Portal or Zelda as games where it's like, I think you really need that human touch to design puzzles, play test puzzles, and like get to this refined... <laughs> yeah, procedural puzzles probably a ways off, if ever. I mean, it, it works for like Minesweeper, but it probably wouldn't work for... <laughs> That's fair. You know, it just depends on the kind of puzzle. It's yeah. kind of this microcosm version of the same conversation, but... Um, but yeah, how far can we go inching towards the the human curation quality level um, without actually having humans do it? Well, and can you, if your if your object is the game creator, or I could even see this being applied to like movies, right? Like if you need your characters to run through the woods. Do you procedurally generate the woods that they run through one time? Or do you say like, no, I want this specific tree in the background yeah. because that's the same kind of tree that his father-in-law hung, hung himself from. And it's going to be like emotionally of choices earlier in the game or something. Or? Yeah. So if, if you want to convey a specific emotion and, and have the characters, whether you're controlling them or just watching them going through a specific world, you can't make that random. Like you're giving up that, that micro control. I mean, I'm thinking of like a portal or a Zelda or like last of us or the old resident evil games before they gave you control over the camera. Like there's, I think it was, I want to say it was resident evil three, but it may have been one. I think it actually was the first one. You come around this corner and you run down the hall and everything's fine. And then later you have to go back that way. And when you go down that hall again, you are very much aware that the camera is no longer facing the same direction. It was facing like kind of awkwardly against the wall. And now it's pointed at these three large windows. Yeah. And, and you're like, what's up with those damn windows? Like, <laughs> why, why are they trying to draw my attention to those damn windows? What's happening with those windows? And yeah. sure enough, you take like two steps into the hallway and these big dogs jump through the windows and you got to shoot them. I don't see why you couldn't eventually have a sophisticated algorithm to generate horror experiences though. I mean, you could you could <laughs> sure. study the language of horror cinema and like identify the kinds of camera angles, the kind of techniques, the kinds of foreshadowing and eventually teach a computer to build horrific experiences. Well, I mean, so yeah, taken to the extreme, like we've built an AI that's essentially as good as a <laughs> yeah. human creator, but like, let's not be that ridiculous with it. So would you want that horror game building AI to give one experience? So it's like this AI built this game and then you, Mike and me, David, we play the same game or would you want it to be like, you no, know, when you go down the hallway, you get like this horror director's version of how that hallway would look. But then when I play, I want George Miller. You want, yeah, I get what, I don't know, Guillermo del Toro, like whatever. It's like, so, you know, each playthrough is based off the same set of rules, but it's different. It's randomized in some way. Every time there's constraints on the randomization. Yeah. Like which of those, which of those do you see being more likely where it's like the algorithm generates the final product and then everybody gets the same final product or everybody gets something built by the algorithm. Um, I mean, it's often a selling point in games that the, the everyone who launches the game gets something different. Like I see that marketed for different parts of different games. Um, I mean, that's the entire no man's sky marketing. Campaign. Yeah. And I mean, it's usually it's just part of a game, but I guess I mean I could see it on the developer side if it's just like man I don't want to I don't want to send my team to make forests. We're going to click a button and have a forest. 
and then maybe we'll tweak it afterwards, but it's going to do 99% of the work for us. <laughs> um, but as far as like entire game experience, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. It feels, it feels hard to imagine an AI sophisticated enough where it wouldn't just feel like the world was random or it's like, did a toddler build this? Like why, <laughs> why is everything just strewn about randomly? Yeah. Do you want to, do you think you would be more okay living in a physical world that was controlled by this kind of randomness? How would you feel about interacting <laughs> with characters that are, you know, basically attempting to be real and live their own lives? Like from their point of view, you're an NPC. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they think they're the star of their story almost. I mean, the, the, the North star of gaming for me is what's fun. So if you can explain, <laughs> that's, that's fair, explain how that helps a game be more fun. Then there might be certain kinds of games where that would be more fun. Well, so I mean to, to bring this back to no man's sky specifically, the complaints that I have seen are exactly what you just said. Like, wow, this is technologically really impressive and kind of not that fun. Like, is it just a a nice like game engine demo other than that? Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, What's well, like when you asked me like if I was going to buy it I was like I'm not a $60 <laughs> level of interested. I might be a 30 or 15 or $5 Steam sale level of interested. Yeah. I do, I mean I do have some friends uh even some that listen to the show that were very excited and are already playing the game and seem to like it pretty well. And so, you know, no accounting for taste. It's not my kind of game. Sure. I tend to burn out of open world games and this one like at least like Elder Scrolls games or Fallout, like there's still a strong narrative even though there's an open world. Yeah. This I mean, yeah, there's like this vague get to the center of the universe, but it's, yeah, it's really it's not. <laughs> um I'm very narrative biased. I really, I mean, I mean, I don't need Tetris to have a narrative, but <laughs> when I play a game that looks like this, I really like having a purpose, even if you give me a lot of freedom within it. Um, and that's why my next game is Deus Ex, because there's a game that gives you lots of freedom, but has a very structured narrative too. Well, and to uh, the question of like, whoa, will all games eventually be designed by algorithms? Probably not, because you're going to have people who want a bespoke artisanal story experience. I mean, if you just think uh, like, if you know anything about Pixar movies, there's little secret references to every other Pixar movie, like at the time that that one was made. So like in monsters, Inc, the kids bedroom where they do the, the test to like, see if they properly come out of the closet correctly and, and scare the kid. It's the the cloud wallpaper from Andy's bedroom. Yeah. And then they go into, I think it's Boo's room, but they go into somebody else's room and like the, the star ball that's in like every single movie, it's like yellow with a red star in the middle. Mm-hmm. Like that's laying on the floor. And like if you had an AI that was capable of making those kinds of like polish finish decisions, <laughs> you essentially just have like a human a- AI that, <laughs> yeah. that can make creative emotional decisions. Yeah. And at that point, we're not as concerned about the games it designs. Well, it's a question of what level you want the automation to be helping you. Like, I don't think filmmakers are interested necessarily in computer-generated films, but hey, we're in a, you know, it's like Last of Us. We're going to have spores floating and particle effects. I don't want an artist to manually animate particles. <laughs> I want a 
tool set to customize and generate particles and then my artist spends time tweaking it not creating the whole thing well and even then it's uh you know oh but this character he you know he's he's the blacksmith and he got the scar on his face because one of the little embers shot up and hit him in the face and it's like yeah so you need to animate literally that one ember yeah and then the rest can just be physics engine yeah yeah, middleware particle effects right. software. So I'm thinking I, I'm I don't get to play D and D anymore because I just don't have the the time to. Pri- I'm unable to prioritize it given my current <laughs> life situation. I don't want to say I don't have the time, um, but it, you know, games like Neverwinter and Fallout and and Morrowind and or not Morrowind, but the Elder Scrolls games like. I I could imagine being drawn to a game where it's like, yeah, here's the narrative of the game, but you can just like go talk to that guy and like ask him what he did today and he'll be able to tell you because he'll have done things. Yeah. Just like any rando on the street, you know, because I mean, that's always a joke in RPGs is you go up to some rando on the street and they're just like the potion shop has lots of useful supplies. <laughs> and it's like, thanks. Do you work for the potion shop? <laughs> yeah. like, why are you telling me this? You reminded me of a screenwriting tip I read online from, uh, I think it's the West wing guy, uh, Aaron Sorkin. He's done movies too. Um, but he, I think he was quoting someone else. So this is an Abraham Lincoln situation, <laughs> but he was saying, uh, when you're writing a character, they were never seven years old until they mention it because then it matters but otherwise who cares it doesn't matter um characters aren't people they just look like people that uh so i mean i I don't know anything about the craft of filmmaking but that makes me think of like chekhov's gun yeah no that was specifically mentioned okay it's like don't don't talk about the character being seven unless when they were seven is relevant yeah to the okay no that's exactly what he was saying (laughs) i understood a thing (laughs) yeah pat myself on the back (laughs) so uh aside from all the the procedural stuff this is kind of my final thought about no man's sky unless you have other stuff um is it like super pretty yeah that's the one thing i can say is i freaking love the aesthetic of the game the retro sci-fi future thing yeah is gorgeous i don't know what you'd call that color palette it's not like quite like neons yeah it's they're not like crayola basic eight colors it just screams 50 60 70 sci-fi to me like like crazy i i think more than i want to play the game i kind of just want like the cover art as a poster yeah (laughs) just hang up any other thoughts on no man's sky no i'm good all right you ready to put a bow on this yeah let's do it um if you made it this far in the episode a reminder go to our reddit community if you don't have a reddit (laughs) account you have to sign up because you heard me tell you to. Um, it's free. It doesn't cost anything unless you want to be Reddit gold. Uh, you can go to reddit.com slash r slash flipping tables to see our episode link for each of our episodes. And then you can discuss. Um, if you want to check out the show notes, uh, they'll be in the Reddit post. But also you can just go to our website, sunriserobot.net slash flipping tables slash 132 to see links to all these articles, including the Stacy Hedger Star Wars trumpet fiasco of the 80s or 70s or whenever that happened we should also link to the the bill murray star wars song just yeah. as like a palate cleanser yeah you, yeah if you've never seen bill murray sing star <laughs> wars then you should watch this uh, don't let them end um 
me and David love feedback. We're both on Twitter as well. If you just want to tweet at us, um, you, uh, I'm at pseudo Michael S U D O Michael and lions. You are at lions in beta. Uh, if you're at our website, you can subscribe to our podcast or if you just have a podcast app, you could get pocket cast or overcast.fm. Um, and then you could search for flipping tables or sunrise robot and just subscribe to our show. That way episodes show up automatically every week. You don't even have to remember to do it yourself. And, uh, that way on your morning commute, you can listen to us rant about games and technology. And, uh, then when you get to work, you can spend your whole work day on Reddit talking to us about it. I like, want, I like that plan. <laughs> if you want to support us directly, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash sunrise robot and pledge dollars. And depending on the level you pledge, you'll get your name shouted out at the end of every episode of Flipping Tables or even the rest of our network shows. Uh, and with that, special thanks to Matt Mariner, Sean Byrne, Benji Robinson, Cunningham-Gaming.com, <laughs> Carolyn Kraut, Cliff Lyons, Ido Abramovich, Justin Edwards, Joan Edwards, and Warren Myers. We love you all so much. So much loves. See you next week. <laughs>